Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. He's back. Chia, chia, chia. What's good, ladies and gentlemen? It is your boy, the host of the Page Turners Podcast. My name is Elgin Bailey, also known as Big L, also known as Mr. Catch-22, also known as Bishop Heaviset Voice. Yeah. I am here, man, with episode 21 of the Page Turners Podcast, man. We are trying to complete this classic, this masterpiece, uh, Black Theology and Black Power by the late, great Dr. James H. Cone. I know you guys were used to me, man, dropping these joints. Uh, at least three times a week. My schedule is a little bit more hectic now, man. I'm back in school full-time, uh, full-time job, family, kids, wife, everything, man. Everything but the damn dog. We ain't got no dog yet. The dog is coming soon. Uh, but I just want to let you guys know, man, that I'm still doing this. I'm still here. And this is episode 21. We are currently in chapter 6, I believe. Let me double check, man. Don't, let me double check. Yes, we are in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is titled some perspectives of black theology some perspectives of black theology forgive my voice if it's a little heavier <laughs> a little deeper than usual um my sinuses have been kicking my behind it went from being 90 degrees one day <laughs> to 50 degrees the next day so it's been a little bit of a struggle man it's been a little struggle so keep me in your prayers man keep me in your prayers um, just want to thank everybody for tuning in, man. Page Turns Podcast. Books here, books there, books everywhere, books from a black, black, black perspective. We will be looking at books, man. This is season one. Each book will be a particular season. So this happens to be season one of the Page Turners Podcast. The particular book study is Black Theology and Black Power with the late, great Dr. James H. Coleman. And I'd be so glad when the summer is over so these fools can get off these doggone motorcycles late in the midnight hour for revving up and down the doggone street. But yeah, man. Uh, let us begin. And it reads. This is the key to black theology. It refuses to embrace any concept of God which makes black suffering the will of God. Black people should not accept slavery, lynching, or any form of justice or any form of injustice as tending to good. It is not permissible to appeal to the idea that God's will is inscrutable or that the righteous sufferer will be rewarded in heaven. And that's a really popular theology, man. Very popular theology that we should be actually grateful to God for 
uh, slavery. We should be grateful that, you know, <laughs> European uh, missionaries went to Africa and shared their version of Christianity. Ain't nobody grateful for none of that. You hear what I'm saying? You hear me? <laughs> Ain't nobody grateful for that. For one, Christianity was already in Africa. It was already there. Which introduced to our ancestor was this bastardized, watered-down, whitewash trash that was used to intentionally subjugate and create a docile people so they can be used as the chief form of labor to create the United States economy. Best belief, family, to understand, very fundamental understanding, that this economy that everybody wants to rave about, whether it's up or down, uh, whether things are going great or bad, was built on the blood, sweat, tears, and dead bodies of our African ancestors. Okay? And the text reads, If God has made the world in which black people must suffer, and if he is God who rules, guides, and sanctifies the world, then he is a murderer. To be the God of black people, he must be against the oppression of black people. The idea of heaven is irrelevant for black theology. The Christian cannot waste time contemplating the next world if there is a next. Radical obedience to Christ means that reward cannot be the motive for action. It is a denial of faith to insist on the relevance of reward. Is this not what St. Paul had in mind when he spoke of justification? When Paul uses the term justification in reference to Christ, he means that sinful man, though complete through complete trust alone, is accepted by God and is declared and treated as a righteous man. He is emphasizing man's inability to make himself righteous. All human strivings are nil. Man cannot earn God's acceptance. Romans 3.20.23, Galatians 3.22. Salvation is by the free grace of God. There is no place for the conceit that men can save themselves by their own efforts if they try hard enough. The incarnation means that man stands unworthy before God. Man is helpless under God's wrath. But God is not only just in condemning and punishing sin. He is so completely just that he also provides a means of deliverance from sin, giving freely what man can never achieve for himself. There is no place here for reward. In fact, man is now made free for obedience without worrying about a pat on the back from God. He now knows that he is right with God because God has put him in the right. This new gift of freedom means that he can be all for the neighbor. To allow one's concern to be directed towards heaven is to deny the freedom. It means that in some way, what one does is worthy and thereby guarantees his favor with God. The free Christian man cannot be concerned about a reward in heaven. Rather, he is a man who through the freedom granted in Christ is ready to plunge himself into the evils of the world, revolting against all inhuman powers which enslave men. He does not seek salvation, for he knows that to seek it is to lose it. 
He that would save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will gain it. He is a rebel against inhumanity and injustice. Black theology rejects the tendency of some to interpret eschatology in such a way that a cleavage is made between our world and God's. Black theology insists that genuine biblical faith relates eschatology to history. That is, to what God has done, is doing, and will do for his people. It is only because of what God has done and is now doing that we can speak meaningfully of the future. With a black perspective, eschatology comes to mean joining the world and making it what it ought to be. It means that the Christian man looks to the future not for the reward or possible punishment of evil doors, but as a means of making him dissatisfied with the present. His only purpose for looking to a distant past or an unrealized future is that both disclose the ungodliness of the present. Looking to the future, he sees that present injustice cannot be tolerated. Black theology asserts in an eschatology that confronts a world of racism with black power. Eschatology does not mean merely salvation of the soul, individual rescue from the evil world, comfort for the troubled conscience, but also the realization of the eschatological hope of justice, the humanizing of man, and the socializing of humanity, and peace for all creation. Our future expectation must be turned into present realities. Creative discipleship cannot consist in an adaption to or preservation of the existing social and judicial orders, still less can be supplied religious backgrounds for a given or manufactured situation. It must consists in analyzing the present structure of things, seeking to overthrow all inhuman and unjustifiable acts of oppression. Creative discipleship of this kind and a love which institutes community sets things right and puts them in order, becomes an eschatological possible through the Christian hopes, prospects of the future of God's kingdom and man. Therefore, Hope is not of a theoretical concept to be answered in a seminary classroom or in a privacy of one's experiences. It is a practical idea which deals with the reality of this world. In short, black theology refuses to embrace an interpretation of eschatology which would turn our eyes from injustice now. It will not be deceived by the images of pearly gates and golden streets because too many earthly streets are covered with black blood. Ooh, yeah. And the text continues. To carve out a black theology based on black oppression will of necessity mean the creation of new values, independent and alien to the values of white society. The values must be independent because they must arise from the needs of black people they will be an alien because white American Christian values are based on racism. The call for a new value system is not new in the history of mankind. An appropriate example in is Nitschke's demand for a reevaluation of all values, which for him meant a destruction of Christianity and the death of God. He was appalled not merely at the nature of the faith itself and its contradiction of the basic nature of man, but more importantly, 
He was sickened at the seeing priests, theologians, and others who use the name Christian as a description of their lives, conducting themselves in contradiction to Christianity. Mm, 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 mm. Lord, have mercy. And the text reads, what was formerly just sick is today's indecent. It is indecent to a Christian today. And here begins my nauseousness. I look around and not one word has remained of what was formerly called truth. If we all have the smallest claim to integrity, we must, now today, we must know today that a theologian, a priest, and a pope not merely is wrong in every sentence he speaks, but lies. The priest knows all knows as well as anybody else that there is no longer any God, any sinner, any redeemer. Everybody knows this, and yet everything continues as before. Where has the last feeling of decency and self-respect gone when even our statesmen an otherwise quite unembarrassed type of man, anti-Christian through and through in their deeds, still call themselves Christian today and attend communion. Hmm. From this, Nitschke concludes, perhaps rightly, that there was only one Christian and he died on the cross. What is needed, according to Nitschke, is a new set of values to be created by man himself because God is dead and the churches are nothing but the tombs and sulfurs. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Sulfurs of God. Taking the cue from Nitschke and other radical religionists, the term secular has become the watchword for many 20th century theologians. For some, secular means simply embracing the secular world. For others, it implies a denial of God himself. And in other segments of American theology, it symbolizes a call for an underground church of theology. Mm -mm -mm. Excuse me. One positive note arising from these views of Christianity in the world is a recognition of the need for abandoning of the institutionalized church. Man, listen. I don't know how long I've been telling folks, get out. According to Boyd, the underground church is a fellowship of unemployables in the institutional church who are seeking to be Christian in an age of societal dehumanization. They bypass the structure of church power because they believe that suffering is more vital than saving face. In some cases, they are participating with thanksgiving in the dying and the willing of death of the church. Quoting from Henry Pines, priest workman in Germany, Malcolm Boyd describes the spirit of the underground church. All this calls for men who can get, who can get out of themselves, who will cease walking by a lonely path and will come up to the high roads where men of all nations pass by. Such Christians as these, leaping over the rottenness of the world at a bound, will stand up before men bearing the light of Christ, past the winding ways and false mysticism which mislead them. This also calls for men to leave the ghetto in which they so often shut themselves up in our churches, our papers, our movements, our good works. This calls for them to be amongst pagans and really become 
theirs as Christ became ours, giving up their life, their time, their resources, their activity for those who haven't heard the good tidings. A Christian hasn't finished his job when he has gone to Mass on Sunday. The church's prayer, the body of Christ, are only given to him as a help towards bringing him to the world. And if men do not recognize in us the love of God, goodness, love and goodness of our Father, then we have done nothing. We haven't even begun to serve him. <coughs> Excuse me, family. And the text reads, Words like these can inspire white men to live a lifestyle properly called Christianity. The underground church seems to be the body of men who are seeking to be Christians independent of the organized church. According to Boyd, it is not a denial of Christianity, but its affirmation. It seeks to insist by whatever means that the church be itself. For whites who are concerned about Christianity and their role amid the black revolution, the underground church may be an appealing and useful style. This does not mean that they would evade the hostility of black Americans. That simply is not possible. Neither does it mean that they would avoid compromise, becoming pure in contrast to the corrupt establishment. It is a hard to know, it is hard to know, writes Boyd, what constitutes compromise. One is a societal being, absorbing social actions, and therefore the giver and receiver of moral ambiguities. What could dropping out possibly mean? There is nowhere to go. This is at least includes a stance of self-righteousness. But this does not mean that even white men, despite their guilt, can define clearly, emotionally and intellectually what they can and cannot endure. They will not know what it means to face the reality of alienation and death until they stop defining their existence according to the expectations of the establishment. But for black people, the call for a new value system must not be identified with Nitschke, the death of God theology, or even the underground church. When black theology calls for a new value system, it is oriented in a single direction, the bringing to bear of a spirit of God, self-determination upon the consciousness of black people is the creation of a new cultural ethos among the oppressed blacks in America. So they are no longer dependent on the white, on the white oppressor for their understanding of truth, reality, and this is the key. What ought to be done about the place of black sufferers in America? Black religion and black people can never become what they ought to be, a religion and a people unreservedly devoted to the emancipation of blacks. As long as the content of the religion is a distorted reflection of the religion of the enslaver. To be free means to be free to create new possibilities for existence. I want to read that part one more time. I want to go back here just a little bit, man, because I think it's important to get this. Black religion and black people can never become what they ought to be. A religion and a people unreservingly devoted, devoted to emancipation of all blacks. As long as the content of religion is the story reflection of the religion of their enslavers, to be free means to be free 
to create new possibilities for existence. Man, listen, uh, that is a very meaty, 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 meaty section of scripture right there. I want to highlight that because I think that is good, good stuff. Black theologians owe this insight to the pre-Civil War Black preachers <clears throat> and the emergence of Black power concept. The Black preachers of the pre-Civil War period saw the need for independent Black churches whose reason for existence was to create the spirit of freedom amongst Black people. And see, this is what I don't get. Pre-Civil War Black preachers believed in separating believed in separating from black church to white church. They believed it and they viewed and saw and understood how important it was. Not only important from the standpoint of black Christians being able to grow and thrive, but it was free from the, the, the nonsense and the BS from white Christians. The connection between Christianity and civil freedom was absent in most white views of Christianity. Well, <laughs> ain't nothing changed. Have you seen that statement of the social gospel fools just that Johnny Mackinac put out? Yeah. It's the same thing my man Dr. Cohn was talking about right here. And if black power means anything, it means a call for black unity, even in religion, especially religion, because it realizes that only blacks can set the limits of their existence. It means that whites cannot assist in this because they too, in spite of their good intentions, are immersed in the total structure of racism. At most, whites can only leave blacks alone. Black power and black religion are inseparable. Both seek to be free to free black people from white racism. It is impossible for black power to be effective without taking into consideration man's racist religious nature. It is impossible for black religion to be truly related to the condition of black people into the message of Jesus Christ without emphasizing the basic tenets of black power. Therefore, black theology seeks to make black religion a religion of black power. It does not attempt to destroy Christianity, but endeavors to point to its blackness. The task of black theology is to make Christianity really Christian by moving black people with a spirit of black dignity and self-determination so they can become what the creator intended. Black theology is a thought theology of the black community and it thus opposes, thus opposes to any idea which alienates it from that community. Since it seeks to interpret black power religiously, black theology endeavors to reorder the Christian tradition in view of the black predicament and to destroy the influence of heretical white American Christianity. In this sense, it is naturalistic. It attempts to provide black people with a sense of nationhood, knowing that until black unity is attained, black people will have no weapon against white racism. The religious ideas of the oppressor are detrimental to black people's drive for freedom. They tend to make black people nonviolent and accept only the prescribed patterns of protest defined by the oppressor itself. It is the oppressor who attempts to tell black people what is and is not Christian, though he is the least qualified to make such a judgment. 
It is he through the news media and other forms of communication, through the news media and other forms of communication, pay attention to that, who tries to select the good Negro as the leader for black people, religious and secular, or black theology, like that power, rejects leaders who merely mimic the values of racist society. Black theology advocates a religious system of values based on the experience of the oppressed because it believes white values must either be revolutionized or eliminated. Jesus, Lord have mercy. People scared of this Dr. Cone, though, boy. People scared of this Dr. Cone, boy. Listen, folks will be okay with you reading Joel Osteen. They'll be okay with you uh, reading some of these other knucklehead prosperity folk. They'll be okay. They, they won't be fine with it. They won't support it, but they'll be okay with it. Let me tell you what they won't be okay with. They ain't okay with you listening to black liberation theology. They're not okay for you practicing a black theology. They're not okay with that. That they are not okay with. They're not okay with that. Folk are not going to like this. Mm-mm-mm. Dr. Cole the Great. Dr. Cole the Great. Man, listen, I am reading over it again and chewing on it because I just think that is fire. I got a couple more pages of this chapter, man, and I want to finish. I know I try to stay right around 30 minutes for you folks, man, because I know you guys have the attention span of a tic-tac, so you know, I want to make sure. Uh, I don't keep you guys too long, but I want to finish this. I want to finish these last three pages of this particular chapter. So when I come to you guys again, man, we can begin doing the very last chapter, man. And uh, so hopefully next weekend we can begin season two, season two. I haven't decided just yet what the next book was going to be. I have a couple of different options. Uh, a couple of different selections that I have in mind. One is when affirmative action was white. And another is why I don't talk to white people about racism. Try to decide between those two because I think they're very, very important in this time. I think the affirmative action joint is crucial to understanding 
where we are and how we got to be in this place and why things are so unequal. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to spend too much time talking about that. Let me finish this text. And the text reads, such a value system means, of course, an end to the influence of white seminaries with their middle class white ideas about God, Christ and the church. This does not necessarily mean burning of their buildings with motile cocktails. What is meant is a removal of the oppressive ideas from the black community, which the seminaries perpetrate. We must replace them with black consciousness that is with Nathaniel Paul, Daniel Payne, Nat Turner, Marcus Garvey, Elijah Muhammad, and Malcolm X. Instead of having courses dealing with the theology of Reinhold Nybar or Rudolf Bultmann or Emma Bruner, we need to deal with the theology of Henry Garnett and other black theologians. Jesus, Dr. Cone, Lord have mercy. And again, family, this book right here, man, was written in 1969. 1969, this was published. Whew. Lord have mercy. You start talking about them white seminaries, boy. You got to be careful with them white seminaries, boy. I remember I told one brother, man, that I had spent a couple semesters at Liberty University, and he was like, what? <laughs> he began to really, really critique and look at me differently. Man. All right, all right. Black theology seeks to do in religion what Leroy Jones, Larry Neal, Ron Carriaga, and others have done in their specialized fields. During Black Power, Jones says Black Power is the power to first be Black, but it is also a culture of way of feeling, a way of living that is replaced with a culture, feeling, way of living, being that is Black, and yes, finally more admirable. Karenega, Karenga, I'm sorry, speaks of the same concerns. We search culture because it gives identity, purpose, and direction. It tells who we are, what we must do, and how we can do it. He goes on to suggest that culture is the basis of all ideas, images, and actions. To move is to move culturally by a set of values given to you by your culture. The basic criteria for culture, according to Karenga, was myth mythology history, social organizations, political organization, creative motif, and ethos. Larry Neal, another black artist, speaks of the black aesthetic. The motorcycles, boy. Listen, here we go. The text reads, it consists of an African-American cultural tradition. It encompasses most of the usable elements of the third world culture. The motive behind black aesthetics is the destruction of white, the white thing, the destruction of white ideas and white ways of looking at the world. The new aesthetic is mostly predicated on its ethics, which asks the question, whose vision of the world is finally more meaningful, ours or the white oppressor? What is truth? Or more precisely, whose truth shall we express, that of the oppressed or of the oppressor? Neil further describes the meaning of the black aesthetic by quoting 
Brother Knight. Mm -mm. Unless the black artist establishes a black aesthetic, he will have no future at all. To accept the white aesthetic is to accept and validate a society that will not allow him to live. The black artist must create new forms and new values, sing new songs or purify old ones. Along with other black authorities, he must create a new history, new symbols, myths, and legends. And the black artist in creating his own aesthetics must be accountable for it only to black people. <coughs> oh, <excuse> me. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Mm -mm -mm. Leroy Jones plays the Dutchman and the slave are examples of this for a new theater. Jones speaks to the condition of black people by describing the reality of white thing as it appears to them in the American society. Our theater will show victims so that their brothers in the audience will better able to understand that they are the brothers of victims and that they are themselves are victims if they are blood brothers. What we show must cause the blood to rush so that the pre-revolutionary temperaments will be bathed in this blood. It will cause their deepest souls to move and they will find themselves tense and clenched, even ready to die at what the soul has been taught. We will scream and cry, murder, run through the streets in agony if it means some soul will be moved, moved to actual life, understanding of what the world is and what it ought to be. We are preaching virtue and feeling in a natural sense of the self in the world. All men live in the world and the world ought to be a place for them to live. In the Dutchman, the victim is clay. Here Jones shows how black being has become so intertwined with white being that the only possible escape is for black people to kill the white thing. Apart from this, the only option is to devise means of hiding the true nature of black being, usually through song, dance, poetry, and love. Clay represents a middle-class Negro who was very skilled at hiding his blackness. But in his encounter with Lola, in his attempt to make it with her, he sees himself and tells her the meaning of blackness. Just let me bleed you, you loud whore. And one poem vanished. A whole people of neurotics struggling to keep from being mine and sane. And the only thing that would cure the neurosis would be your murder, simple as that. I mean, if I murdered you, then other white people will begin to understand me. You understand? No, I guess not. If Bessie Smith had killed some white people, she wouldn't have needed that music. She would have talked very straight and plain about the world. No metaphors, no grunts, no wiggles of her dark soul. Just straight two plus two are four. Money, power, and luxury-like. All of them, crazy niggas turning their backs on sanity, when all it needs is that simple act, murder, just murder, would make us all sane. By killing Clay, Lola demonstrates that white encounter with blackness is threatening to the cultural values of, white, of the white West. Therefore, the black man has a decision to make. Will he continue to camouflage his creativity and thus be granted permission to breathe in a white world? Or will he eliminate the white thing and by doing so, run the risk of being eliminated by it? 
A new dimension of liberation is the key to relevant black theology. The Old and the New Testaments are important because in them, God is revealed as God, who is involved in human in history, effective new forms of human life in the world. Every human order stands under his judgment because only God is absolute. Absolute. That is why again and again in the Bible, a new order is expected, which will come into being because of God's decision to make human life really human. This is to say that the Bible is perversely eschatological, that it is looks to the future, to a time when the new will displace the old. Black theology believes that we are on the threshold of a new black order, the order of a new black community. The black power movement is a transition in the black community from non-being to being. In the old order, black people were not allowed to be human. We were what white America permitted us to be. No things. We took on false identity, which destroyed our real selves, our beautiful black selves. The new order, partially realized now, but full, not fully consummated, is an order which affirms black self-identity. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of chapter six. We have closed out chapter six, man. We will begin chapter seven, the final chapter in episode 22 of the Page Turners podcast, hosted by your boy, Elgin Bailey. Till next time, we out.